yeah, I, I, I love the way you explain that and why a male-male couple might want to, that option as well, just to be able to use both both partners. Um, when I found out I was donor conceived and then 10 years later found my, you know, my biological father and siblings, it kind of clicked like this could be my happy ending. And what really was my, my catalyst into all of this was when I was a kid, my mother was a surrogate. Hey, this is Don Lewis, and I wanted to welcome you back to Excited. It's our new podcast channel. And what is super cool was last week, Mark and I were doing kind of a year of 2023 in review. And one of my favorite clips that I pulled into that um, into that session was one by Hillary Marsh. She wrote a book, and she was a donor-conceived person who discovered it later on in life. It was a really cool um, interview. And I just pulled a clip, but I had so many people asking me about it. I'm going to go ahead and turn it into this podcast. So just sit back, relax, and listen. This is the uh, entire interview with Mark and Hillary. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have you here today, Hillary. And um, really, you know, honored to be able to hear your story and share your story. Before we get started, um, or before I start asking questions, I should say, um, why don't you tell all the viewers a little bit about yourself, kind of, you know, maybe in one or two sentences to sum it up. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. My name is Hillary Marsh, I'm born and raised on Long Island. I currently live in upstate New York with my husband, who I've known since I was 12. So we oh. have a cute little love story. Um, I'm the published author of The Forever Haze of After, and that kind of shares my my story. I'm looking forward to talking about a little bit more with you today. Well, you already mentioned it right there. You know, the the book that you that you authored, you know, where did it come from? What was the inspiration? Why did you decide to to write to write it? Yeah. So um, growing up, I sort of had this crazy life. Um, and as a teenager, my friends would always be like, Hill, you have to write a book. Like, this isn't normal. Um, and it sort of got in my head that, hey, maybe I do have kind of these cool stories going on. And I really started to create that goal for myself. And actually, in my book, I include excerpts of diary entries I wrote growing up. And you kind of see that I reference, oh, maybe I'll include this in the book. Maybe I'll include that in the book. So it was always a personal goal, honestly, probably since I was 12 or 13 years old. Um, it was one of those goals that as life continued, it it sort of was like, how am I going to attain this? I don't know how to write. I'm not a writer. I don't know how to publish a book. And then when COVID hit in 2020, my husband and I had closed on our house six days before. So like we closed on March 6, 2020, and the world shut down on the 13th. And we moved to a county in uh, upstate New York. We didn't know one singular person, and nobody wanted to talk to strangers, let alone, you know, <laughs> talk to people that you knew. So I kind of said to my husband, I'm going to try to write this book now. I felt like if I didn't do it then, I, I didn't know when I would do it. And um, I took being forced to stay home as an opportunity to, um, fulfill my goal. And I'm really happy that I did. That's awesome. Well, you know, I mean, we're happy you did. I'm hope hopeful, you know, those who read it are thrilled about it, but I love the kind of, to hear that story, the progression of where you thought about it and 
kind of how it happened and, and that opportunity in 2020 for that to uh, really t- come to fruition. So did you always have uh, an idea that this would be the topic of a book or you just thought like, I know I want to write a book and I've got a lot of things to share, but um, when this part of your life opened up, then it became more clear that this was going to be because certainly at you know 12 writing a book versus when you were older as an adult writing a book is going to be different right absolutely yes so i always knew you know my parents had one of those crazy divorces when i was younger a lot of things were happening that were you know abnormal where my friends were like this is crazy you know you have to write about this and i kind of thought are other people going through this you know you never really know how widespread certain issues are um, when I found out I was donor conceived and then 10 years later found my, you know, my biological father and siblings, it kind of clicked like this could be my happy ending. You know, I, I, I never knew where the story was going to start or end. And that kind of inspired me as that would be a really cool ending. And then I was able to kind of put everything together. Um, the title of the book is The Forever Haze of After. And that kind of means like, you know, everybody in the world no matter who they are where they're from everybody goes through a life-changing moment right they could be good bad um and it can happen it can happen right now you and i can get a phone call right this second that could change our lives forever and we will never be the same as we were in this moment and the forever haze of after is kind of that feeling that you know when when you have a life-changing moment you are now in the forever haze of after. You will never be who you were before. And I decided to write the book about my moments, my life-changing moments. You know, finding out I was donor conceived was a life-changing moment. And then finding my biological family was another life-changing moment. And then I had some sprinkled, you know, other moments in between in the book, but that's that's kind of the gist of it. So I felt like everybody could relate to, just to that concept, you know? Yeah, that's actually a, a beautiful uh, thought and something that I think many of us just kind of look past, you know, these key moments in life that really change our lives forever. And, and certainly finding out that you were donor conceived and then finding your father, you know, all, your donor father, all of these are certainly life-changing events. So taking it back because one of the things that really stood out for me and why we're having this conversation is because you were donor conceived. So at what age did you find out that you were donor conceived? So I was the ripe age of 20. It was um, an interesting situation. I had mentioned before, my parents were going through a, a really tough divorce and the relationship with the um, man who tried to raise me, it kind of got to a point of no return. I was, you know, in college going through what a lot of people do in college, you know, finding themselves learning to live on their own. And that relationship with the man who tried to raise me was just really holding me back. I mean, it was so toxic. It was so negative that my mom sort of was realizing that. And um, there were a few situations that happened where you know, my mom was like, look, just cut him out of your life, you know, just move on. And I kept saying, I don't know why, but I kept saying, how am I supposed to do that? He's my dad. He made me. And I kept saying to her, he made me. And 
that that's kind of like a weird term to use, right? And I don't know why I said that, but it got to a point where my mom was like, okay, we have to talk because she realized that I was holding on to this negative relationship because I thought I, I sort of owed it to him. And she sort of wanted to, to free me of that. And she decided to tell me um, in that situation that he actually didn't make me and I was a, a sperm donor baby. You know, there's, these moments often are coming in, uh, you know, heated conversations or difficult times um, where we find out crucial information like this. So I'm sure that was a, um, as you mentioned, it was already a life-changing event for you, but I'm sure it was, you know, eye-opening and, and shocking to, to hear that. You know, you talk about just this positive aspect of being donor-conceived and you know, my imagination is that that came around a little bit later, right? Like when you find out in that moment, it's a shock, you have to process information. So I imagine that you weren't so thrilled, you know, to find out that you were donor conceived at that specific moment. But where was that turnaround time where you said, well, this, this could be something really unique or something special. And, and you thought really positively about it. Yeah. So that's a great question. And you're exactly correct. In the beginning, I was, you know, my college roommates say I walked into a bedroom, one person, and I walked out an hour later, a different person, because I immediately had like an identity crisis, you know, sure. like for 20 years, you're thinking that this guy, you know, you're half of him. You know, I was a little worried, honestly, at some points, like, am I going to turn out like him? Am I going to have a temper like him? Um, and you also kind of feel a little betrayed, honestly, you know, you, you sort of feel like, why didn't anyone tell me sooner? It's not like the divorce got bad that day, you know, it had been going on for a long time. So in the beginning, I, I also was going to school for psychology. So I was, I was in the middle of learning about your mind and nature versus nurture. And I was literally taking courses on that and studying it. So I was like really freaking out. Um, it took a while, honestly, to kind of, you know, I had a lot of things to process. It it took a little bit for me to realize this is kind of a relief. You know, I'm not going to be like this man that I was a little scared to become. Um, so that was one thing that sort of made me feel like maybe this isn't as awful as I think it could be. Um, I got hit with a little bit of, um, like a roadblock. I, I tried to find my donor through the donor agency, but, you know, I'm 35. So I was born in 1988. Everything was anonymous back then because nobody could even think of how science is today. So 23andMe, Ancestry.com, finding your biological parent, that was never, um, you know, no one could dream that that would, would get to where we are now. So when I reached out to the sperm donor agency, they're like, you're never going to find him. You know, they were like, there's, it's total anonymity laws. And then I, you know, kind of felt like, oh man. And then I had to go through that. Like, oh my God, I'm never going to know where I came from. So I kind of went from being relieved that I wasn't going to be like the man who raised me to then sort of like, you know, I, I just, I just had to deal with something that I didn't like the answer, you know, I just, I just didn't want that to be the case. So 
it took me a couple of years to kind of realize like this is just it just is what it is um it did help me deal with the relationship i had with the man who raised me because i felt disconnected at that point you know i felt kind of a relief on my shoulders so so that sort of helped me grow in that sense um obviously once i found my biological father and eight siblings i mean my story is admittedly such a fairy tale that it's it's hard to not um you know feel positive or happy so um and that was five years ago so it was definitely um i would say that of course and not not that it's so obvious but was the game changer for me so you found out when you were 20 that you were donor conceived and then it yeah. seems like within a year or two correct me if i'm wrong that you were you had this notion like well i want to find out who my biological father is mm -hmm. and you started to look for him couldn't find him and then about eight years later than that right or 10 years total from when yeah. you found out to that's when you um were able to actually find out who your biological father was and find out that you had other uh, siblings that you were not aware of. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah, pretty accurate. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to know who I, I started the process immediately. When oh, I okay. found out. Like, I mean, I'm talking within a couple of weeks. I said to him because my mom was like, look, I can reach out to the agency and, you know, see what they have. And they sent her, they were like, this is all we have for you. And they sent a copy of the donor application, which in the 80s was a one page piece of paper typed on a typewriter front and back. And it basically said the year he was born, um, his ethnicity. It had like a little section, like when you go to the doctor and they make you like do check marks next to things like, have you ever had cancer or high blood pressure? It had one of those with some check marks of like allergies. Um, and that he was going to dentistry school. And that was really it, you know, hair color, eye color, really, really basic. And then they gave a donor code at the top. So each donor gets a designated code mm -hmm. and his was C380. And they told me that although I wouldn't be able to find him, I could log on to um, the DSR, which is the donor sibling registry. And that's a platform where I can insert the donor code. And then if anybody else was on the platform and also inserted the donor code, it would sync us up as siblings. But that was also a dead end. And they were like, that's really all, you know, the only options you have at this point. So I did that. And then honestly, I kind of went on with my life. I was in my early 20s. I was graduating from college. My husband and I were best friends at the time. We started dating. We had our own journey um and a lot of forever haze of after moments that you'll <laughs> read about um and then we got married and just tried to kind of figure out life in our late 20s and i actually bought him a 23 and me test and they had a sale like buy one get one half off so i was like whatever i might as well try um and i was the one who got all the uh all, all the cool results so that was exactly 10 years from when I found out I was donor conceived. I was 20 when I found out. I was 30 when I did 23 in me. So it was 10 um, years. Amazing. Amazing. Just the, and even more so, I just got this big smile on my face when you said, you know, I wasn't even going to order the kit for I myself. Wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> and I got yeah. an extra one for me. Yeah. <laughs> so 
you you put in your you, you send off your information, you get your results, you log into 23andMe, and then how quickly did it say you have relatives or you know I think am I accurate? It says you have relatives mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Oh yeah. Um. Yeah. So when you do 23andMe. For whoever's not familiar, you basically spin into a tube, you send it in, you do your profile online, and then there's an option when you're filling out your profile that says, do you want to opt into what 23andMe calls a DNA share? So that's their program where anybody else who did 23andMe, if they also opted into the DNA share, they would compare your DNA to everyone else that opted in and you would get matched up with people if there was a match. So when I saw that, I kind of clicked it as a joke. Like I said to my husband, I guess, you know, this is my last chance for real, you know, so we'll see. And it maybe took, I don't know, two weeks and I get an email at work and it says like, Hi, Hillary, 23andMe, we found your relatives, click below. But I really like wasn't expecting anything. So I just brushed it off. I didn't even open up the email. I got home that night. My husband was at work. And I was like, oh, let me check that email. Now, most people I knew had found distant cousins, you know, one, two, three percent match, which I wasn't interested in, you know, because that's so disconnected. And I literally open up the app and no joke in the middle of the screen, a little pop up. And it's like, hi, Hillary, we found your father. We we found a 51% match and predict Jay so-and-so is your father. So I obviously thought it was a total joke. Like I was like, this is a joke. So, and, and then I'm like, 51%, that doesn't make sense. You get 50% from your mom, 50% for your dad. So I'm like, how do I have a 51% match with somebody? And there's a little section where it says meet your relatives and they list them in um, basically like strength related. So highest percentage. So it had Jay listed at 51% and then it had three other names listed as half siblings with 20 to 26 roughly percent match. And that was um, one of my forever haze of after moments because opening up that email, you know, changed my life in incredible ways. And here I am now. Yeah. I mean, as you tell the story, no one can see it on me, but like, I've got chills as you're (laughs) talking about this piece because it's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, I've done 23andMe and to, to be able to log in and see that and get those emails and then realize on your side, I could just imagine on your side, like, yeah, oh my God, I found my biological father. I mean, this is, yeah. this is crazy. Oh yeah. So, I, I, was being I was looking in the right, body. Of like I was, I had no, like, I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like it really took, I literally was looking in closets. Like, I'm like, is this a joke? Like, um, but it, it was not. And so you found that out and how quickly, like, were you able to contact them yeah. um, immediately? And did you? Yes. Yeah, so um, with that portion of the 23andMe app, they have like a little chat feature, you know, you basically can just like message somebody. So of course I message, you know, Jay, the, the hit for my dad. I'm like, hi, I got this weird notification. I'm just wondering like, if this is possible, um, if you would like to talk, nothing for a couple of days. So I'm like, all right, you know, it is what it is. Just maybe this is a mistake. 
Um, and then I think it was my husband that he was like, did you reach out to any of the other connections? And I'm like, oh, I should probably try that. Meanwhile, those days that Jay wasn't answering me, I'm Googling his name. I'm, I'm looking at every Facebook profile in the United States with that same name, just trying to see, do I look like this guy, you know, or this person looks too young or whatever it is. Um, I didn't really think about the siblings for whatever reason. But I ended up messaging one that was matched up as my brother. And within two minutes of sending that message, he immediately got back to me. And he was like, hey, it looks like you're on the same journey as me. Let me know if texting is easier. Because, you know, through the app, it was like a little weird to, mm -hmm. to chat. And he's like, let me know if texting is easier. Here's my number. So I was like, the same journey as me, like... And then I started freaking out, you know, then I was like, oh, my God, is this real? Could this really be my biological family? So took a bunch of deep breaths. I texted him and he was like, do you want to talk on the phone? And I was shaking like a leaf. I mean, I could, you know, it was happening really I'm quickly. Sure. Yeah. And we ended up talking that night. It was kind of late in New York. It was like 1030 p.m., um, my brother who I was speaking to was in Kansas city actually. So he mm. was a couple of hours earlier and you know, my husband was sleeping. So I'm like, is this really all happening right now? So I spoke to my brother, Will, and he base, I'm like, so like, is this real? Like, are we really siblings? Like, who's this guy, Jay? He's like, Oh, Jay is wonderful. I just met him last month. We have this. And I was like, wait, you met Jay? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, Jay's not answering me. And he's like, oh, he doesn't have his notifications on. I'll text him right now and tell him about you. So I was like, wait, wait, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> you know, um, and a lot at one time. It was too much at one time, honestly, yeah, like yeah. he's really shaky. And, and, you know, you just don't know what to expect. Obviously, I had never spoken to anybody in a similar situation. And this was just weird, you know, um, I mm -hmm. also was a little bit nervous, honestly, you know, my mom and my brother that I grew up with, we are super tight. And in a weird way, I wasn't sure, like, am I betraying them? You know, I'm talking to this guy, he says, he's my brother, but what about my actual brother? How's he gonna feel? So I, I honestly was a little hesitant at first, I was just trying to figure everything out at once. Um, when I spoke to my brother, Will, who I was connected with on 23andMe that night, and he tells me that, you know, he was found out when he was a kid that he was a sperm donor baby. And when he, him and his wife decided that they wanted to start a family, they were like, let's do 23andMe just to learn a little bit about our medical history. You know, that was something that for those 10 years, when I found out I was a sperm donor kid and when I found my biological father, I had severe anxiety over my medical history. You know, mm -hmm. you just don't know. And in this day and age, there's so many things and so many cancers and diseases and this, that that was a huge, huge um, obstacle for me where I was calling my doctors like, erase my records. I don't know my father's side, you know, and, and that was mm -hmm. really, really tough for me. So 
Will, my brother who I was speaking with, was explaining that that's kind of why he did 23andMe. And when he matched up with Jay, they ended up connecting through a crazy story. It's not even believable, the story, but it's in my book about how they connected through a mutual friend, through Facebook. It was a dog breeder, believe it or not. That was the mutual connection um, who got in touch with Jay and was like, you have to check 23andMe because there's some kids out there that are saying you're their dad. So when that happened, Jay invited Will and his family out to meet them. And Will went out, I believe, alone or or with his wife at first. And that kind of spiraled the introduction. So that was a crazy night for me. Um, Will told me a lot about Jay. And he's like, hey, if you're open to it, I'm going to text the group tonight. And I'm like, what group? And he's like, the rest of your sisters. He's like, we're all in a group <laughs> chat. He's like, you got three other sisters. And then he explained that Jay and his wife had three kids of their own, which are also half siblings. So at that point, I was the fifth bio kid. That's what we call each other. We call each other bio, yeah. like biological siblings. I was the fifth bio sib to be found. Jay had three kids of his own. So that was eight of us. And then within like six months of me doing my test, we found our um, our other brother, Max. So we found him a couple of months later. So there's amazing. Nine. Yeah, there's not a, a truly, truly an amazing story. And one of the questions that I had, but I think you've already answered it. So it was, you know, what were all the other biological siblings open, you know, to connecting and meeting and talking as, as you were? It sounds like everybody was. Yeah, great question. So, you know, obviously everybody went into this in different scenarios and in different um, circumstances of their life and why they even went on this platform in the first place. So we're all very close. I mean, we have a group chat. There's 22 of us in it. It's everyone plus their spouses, then plus some kids. um, And we're in constant contact. I mean, daily, if not, you know, if we miss a day, it's because there's so many of us, but um, we're all in contact. We get together once a year. We try, you know, we're spread across the country and I have one sister in Canada. So um, we're kind of all over the place. There's three of us in New York. Jay and his family are in LA. I have a sister in Phoenix. I have a brother in um, Kansas City and then Canada. So we just try to be realistic. We see each other once a year. Um, at least that that's that's our goal you know Um, and we get together and we have all you know we're all kind of the same age so yeah you know in the 80s you know you couldn't freeze sperm like you can now you know now I have a lot of friends who if they have fertility issues or if they're in a same-sex marriage they go they get a bunch of vials of sperm and they freeze them and then all their kids have the same you know biological fathers, but that wasn't the case in the 80s. They didn't have that science. So, you know, Jay always says, yeah, I guess my sperm was good for two or three years because we're all within a two or three year age range, which has made it really cool because we were at really similar points in our lives, right at that like 30 prime age. We were all basically married or in very long-term relationships. And we we all found each other within six months of each other, which to me is wow. the craziest part of the story. Cause like my brother 
um, Max grew up with two moms, right? So he knew his whole life that his dad wasn't involved. My brother, Will, found out when he was 10, he was a sperm donor. Um, my sisters found out at different ages, and then I find out at 20. And we all waited for whatever reason to do these tests within, I think it was like six and a half months. And then we have not found anyone since finding my brother, Max, which was six months after me. So I do kind of believe this was fate, honestly. I really I, do. I would, I would agree. It, it truly sounds that way. Now, you, you reference all of you getting together once a year. Yeah. And I know from our previous conversation, you call it BioFest. Yeah. So is Bio is BioFest a, um, you know, does it feel like just a regular family reunion or does is it feel any different? No, nope, it totally feels like a family reunion. I mean, at this point, you know, the first or second one, you're still figuring, you know, traveling with anyone, it could be a little bit weird, you know? Yeah. Um, so those first few times when we were just sort of starting to build our relationship, I would say that those felt a little bit different. But then as the years go on, you know, it's been five years now and we've gotten together at least once a year. But then some of us see each other more, you know, the ones that are in New York, we get together every three or four months, let's mm -hmm. say. So um, as those relationships start to form and like, you know, the brothers, they're constantly in their football bickering. So, you know, you you start to have it's it feels like friendships, like it really yeah. does it feels like really close friendships. And then we're all sitting around at a breakfast table in the middle of California and you're like, wow, I'm with seven biological siblings and then our biological nieces and nephews. And that's when you start to feel like, you know, you get those butterflies in your stomach. Like, is this real life? And everybody genuinely loves each other. I mean, it's not like this BS, you know, if you don't want to be involved, no one's forcing you to be mm -hmm. involved, you know? And it's like, and one of the first things Jay said to all of us when he first spoke to us was, however you want me to be in your life, I'll be there, you know? And he always jokes that he got to skip the breakups and the high school and, you know, and the college debt, and he didn't have to pay for any of that. And he got to be a part of our lives when we were kind of older and established and, you know, a little sure. bit more mature, but he really made it comfortable, in my opinion, for all of us, because nothing was forced. Um, in fact, the first time I spoke to him, he's like, so my youngest son is actually in college at NYU, which was less than an hour for me, you know, mm -hmm, sure. it was in Manhattan. So he's like, I'm coming out there next month to see him. Like, would you want to get lunch? So I met Jay quickly, even though he was on the other side of the country when, you know, we first connected. So he made it really comfortable for us you know it was weird for him too you know he sure. didn't he didn't expect this and then i think that kind of let everything organically grow into the relationships they are now you know my husband says he's like i love being with your siblings because i feel like i'm just with a bunch of different yous you know you guys have such similar personalities and we're all obviously different but i think at our core we are um very similar and it's really cool yeah, it's a it's a beautiful story, um, and you know I I think of how how amazing the whole progression was and and how everything you know evolved. Um, 
but I know not all, you know, donor conceived relationships end up in the same way. And I know there's a lot of, you know, emotions that go into this. What is one misconception that you think there is about being donor conceived? So it's a great question. I think I was a little naive, admittedly, just in in terms of my situation, because so one of the bio sibs actually, you know, is in a same sex marriage with her wife and works for the California cryobank. So they actually brought this up to me and they were like, yeah, we're getting a lot of hate on social media from other donor conceived kids who think you know, that they were made of science and not love. And, and when I first heard that, I was like, okay, I get the point. We were made with science and, and not to, you know, negate anything else, but I think we were actually made with a little bit of more love because we were really thought out, you know, we were really yeah. planned. It's, um, you know, to go through that whole process of, you know, with your spouse and, you know, you're dealing with infertility issues. And then you have this opportunity to get an egg or a sperm donor. That's a lot of, you know, it's financial, it's emotional, it's mental. So I think a big misconception is, you know, I was reading some negative comments where people, you know, other kids who were donor conceived were like, you know, this isn't a positive experience. We weren't asked to be born, but I thought like no one really is, you know, like, uh, you know, like in fact, we were so thought of and invested in that. I think, you know, in terms of the misconceptions, I would, when I first heard that I was kind of blown away. Like I didn't even, and, you know, admittedly, I get it. I get my story is a bit, you know, fairy tale like and I'm the first one to say you know it's like a book which is literally why I wrote one um but you know a lot of people have reached out to me that have read my book that have been like wow you know I found out I was donor conceived and now I want to reach out to these siblings I matched up with because you know you just never know some people now are finding 30 40 50 siblings like that's really overwhelming and sure I feel a little blessed that our group has, you know, nine, it's kind of easy to keep up with, you know, once you get to 30, 40, 50, that, that does seem very overwhelming, but you only, you could find one or two siblings where they can literally feel like your brothers or sisters and out of the, this donor kid. So there's nine of us, but six of us were donor conceived. Four of them were only siblings. We were only children. So they didn't grow up with any siblings and Mm -hmm. now, you know, they, they have us and not all of us have the same relationship. You know, we might not all equally be as close to one another, but you do find those people where you're like, yep, that's my sister. And she feels like it. And, and I think that in terms of all these misconceptions, like, you know, maybe it would be better for people to think about the positives that they can get out of it, even if they don't find their, their donor, you know, like the siblings are who you're probably going to bond with for a really long time. And it's been, I mean, it's been incredible. I mean, I talk to my sisters all the time and I think people should, should really consider, you know, forming those relationships because you just never know. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful message. I was actually going to ask you a follow-up to that. 
And you could say, no, that's my message. But, you know, if is there something different or more that you would share with others who might not feel the same way as you do about being donor conceived? I would say that is to, you know, like really think about what went into creating you. I mean, you know, there was, there's, like I was saying before, that there's so much thought into it. If two people aren't in love and if two people don't want kids, they are not going to go through a donor agency, you know? So like there's, I feel like you're made with science and a lot of love, you know, not to negate how anyone else is made in a traditional situation, but I'm just saying, you got to think about like what went into it to create you. And yes, there was science, but that's the way the world these days, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see in in the work we do how much these parents, these intended parents really want to have families, want to have children and how much they go through and what they put into it. So I, I totally can relate to what you're saying. And I think it's a it's a beautiful message. I, I, I love your story. I really appreciate you sharing this story with us. Um, for all the viewers watching, where can they find your book? Um, I think you've got a website, right? Yes, I do. So it's the foreverhazeofafter.com or you can just search it on Amazon. Um, you can, you're able to purchase it both ways. So whichever's easier for you. Awesome. And we're going to put a link uh, in the description below. So to make it easier for all of you to find that book. Um, Hillary, once again, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for sharing your story here, but also for, you know, how valuable your book is. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So hopefully you all loved that video, that interview as much as I did. I found it fascinating and super interesting. Um, if you haven't already liked this video, please give us a thumbs up. And if you're not already a subscriber to our YouTube channel, please make sure to subscribe so you can find out more information on using a donor in the future. If you want more information now on picking a donor and working with your eggs, then you can download the Your Eggs app through your um, iPhone or your Android phone, and you can go directly to our website at youreggs.com. See you in the next video. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, thanks for listening to Excited uh, this episode. I thought it was really interesting to hear Hillary's story being told by the actual author of the book. Um, I know the sound quality wasn't the best because it was through a Zoom meeting, but the story was so great. It's kind of being on the inside. If you like what you hear, we put the content out weekly, whether it's a YouTube channel or a podcast. If you like the podcast and you like Excited, look for us on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Well, until next time, this is Don Lewis with Excited.